Since the initial demonstrations following the police custody death of George Floyd, foundations have pledged over $1 billion to support efforts to combat alleged systemic racism. In practice, that means more foundations have followed the path of the Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, and Pew Charitable Trusts, abandoning the business-friendly, pro-capitalist outlooks of their founding donors, and adopting the socialist and woke-progressive outlooks of their current year managers. Joining me on the Influence Watch podcast this week to discuss this consistently troubling development is Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. We'll discuss the recent turn towards left progressive activism at the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, the broader problem of big philanthropy dishonoring donor intent, and what can be done about it. Naomi, before we begin, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your work? Um, sure. Well, uh, I'm right now, as you said, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, but I have been a journalist for about 20 years. I worked at the Wall Street Journal for a while. I was a columnist for the New York Post, um, and I've written a number of books. Right now, I focus a lot on child welfare, but I also uh, have continued to write about uh, the developments in philanthropy throughout my career. And recently, you wrote a piece for City Journal titled uh, that they titled Woke Foundations on... Uh, the Mellon Foundation, and other big philanthropy efforts to fund the often radical movements like Black Lives Matter. Could you base, briefly go through that piece and what you found? Sure. Well, I, you know, this is a, a the sort of the culmination of a lot of trends that have been going on philanthropy now for quite a number of years. Um, I think that uh, what happened was the the Mellon Foundation was just sort of falling into line with so many of the other large foundations. Um, originally, the Mellon Foundation uh, was supposed to be a, 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 a supporter of the arts. Um, it was supposed to be a supporter of the humanities in the United States. Um, uh, the a Andrew Mellon during his lifetime supported Carnegie Mellon, of course. Um, and, as and, well as and, and Andrew Mellon uh, was the very, what we would today call conservative Treasury Secretary for Coolidge and unfortunately Herbert Hoover, not a uh, uh, a fan of the uh, social democratic woke progressive uh, ideology, certainly not the uh, occasional outright Marxism of the Black Lives Matter founders. Yeah, I don't. I, he wasn't a progressive back then, and he certainly wouldn't be a progressive today. I think that's fair to say. Um, but but he, you know, he made his fortune as a banker and as an attorney, and he helped finance, you know, some of the the biggest corporations in America. But he also donated a lot during his lifetime, and so we know um, the kind of causes that he would have supported. Um, and so you know, but but what's happened is, you know, the I think a lot of philanthropies have kind of used the current environment as kind of an excuse to just sort of um, completely turn their ship around not only you know abandon uh, the the intent of the of their founders but really kind of uh, do everything to push back against uh, the things that made their founders successful in the first place um, and so I think you know what what you see now uh, you know that the Mellon Foundation you know issued this ex you know very excited uh, proclamation about uh, you know how it was now pr quote pr prioritizing social justice in all of its grant making um, and it described its shift as a major strategic evolution uh, with a, quote, reinvigorated mission. I mean, you know, this this kind of doublespeak is kind of sort of, you know, these Orwellian phrases, which are meant to, you know, make you say, oh, this is so exciting. You know, they've they've they've, you know, really reinvigorated their mission. Um, I mean, you know, I mean it, this is where you I remember you in the piece yeah. talking about the that the philanthropy is supposed to be the independent sector is supposed to be, you know, a diff uh, a, a different sort of uh, 
uh, of of force in public life outside of government and outside of private business. But you know, certainly with this uh, this latest the sort of Black Lives Matter um, advocacy that's going on. I mean, that's right in line with at least a lot of the progressive municipal governments. Uh, right in line with the business, with the like sort of Fortune 500 businesses, right? Uh, at so, least the ones so, that are customer yeah. facing. I I think that you know there are a lot of different uh, kind of sectors in our society that are accountable in different ways to different people. So you know it's 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 hard as a business to do anything that's going to hurt your bottom line. Um, you know we live in a democratic society, so you know if people are really unhappy with the way you're governing, you'll be voted out of office. Um, and but but philanthropy is kind of a is a is supposed to be both um, kind of long term and independent. Um, it's you know it's funded by its donors, and the donors you know hopefully have given some idea how they want that money and, and many and many of these donors like Andrew Mellon have passed on and, and this is their 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 legacy which means that it's now in the hands of the foundation managers right it is but and and those foundation managers I mean we they have this independence because nobody is saying to them um, you know I voted you into office or this foundation must make a profit those uh, those kind of ways that we hold other institutions accountable in our society are not there but you know there there is still hopefully some mechanism for getting foundations to do what their donors intended and and unfortunately one of those mechanisms uh, is 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 making sure that the, the money is given away as quickly as possible because the further you get away from the foundations from the original founders intent um, as we know the 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 further the money is going to stray from from that what that original donor wanted um, but I think the, the the way that they unfortunately are quote unquote sort of held accountable now is through all this public pressure and through the desire of many of these foundation leaders to kind of you know fit in with uh, academia and elite culture and media, I mean, uh, it, which it, is it, often where they're coming from. And the sort of people who become foundation leaders, even if they're not, even if the foundation hasn't already explicitly turned progressive, they tend to be left leaning. It's a sort of a, it's a air quotes caring field. It's, uh, you know, it's away from the profit making sector. You know, there's, yeah, they're, it, it, they're typically coming, they're almost always coming out of academia or some kind of elite cultural institution, um, you know, maybe a museum or something like that. Yep. Uh, so Capital Research Center, we followed the problem of donor intent and the deviation of donor intent for a long time. Uh, our senior fellow, Martin Wooster, recently updated the fourth edition of our donor intent book, uh, which if you... Uh, reach out to Capital Research Center. We will happily send you a copy of uh, How Great Philanthropists Failed and How You Can Succeed at Protecting Your Legacy. Uh, and it examines the histories of how some philanthropists like Henry Ford II, J. Howard Pugh, and John D. MacArthur failed to keep their fortunes from going to serve uh, woke progressive socialism, while others like Lyndon and Harry Bradley, Bill Daniels, and Jeremiah Milbank uh, succeeded in protecting their donor intentions. Uh, we've been discussing the Mellon Foundation, but it's just the latest in a series of these capitalist figures' bequests being taken over by the left. Is it not? 
I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, 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 no, it, it absolutely is. I think what you what you see here is that whatever the current trend is uh, in academia and in these in elite cultural institutions, that's what these organizations are going for. Um, and I thought it was you know quite amazing just in the in the you know when when the monuments started coming down in particular um, that you didn't hear from any you know donors any of the big foundations that support these institutions saying you know hey maybe Teddy Roosevelt should stay in front of the Museum of Natural History or hey you know some of the the people who founded this country, um, you know, maybe they should stick around or maybe these are, monuments are beautiful. And we are, and we this... are recording uh, the week that Washington, D.C.'s government put out a document calling for, I, f I forget what their exact phraseology was, but explicitly considering the removal of the Washington and Jefferson memorials. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, these these uh, these kind of monuments and 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 memorials have actually been, of course, supported by foundations. Their their upkeep um, and and their construction have been supported yeah, in, in, in by some cases, of the greatest there are philanthropists. Subscriptions for some of these for some of these uh, for donations for some of these monuments. Right, they did not come necessarily from taxpayer dollars. They came from you know independent people who wanted to honor some of the great people you know who who helped found this country and who you know were responsible for its greatest developments. And now what you see is, is philanthropists just sort of standing idly by as these monuments are toppled um, and as the areas around them are, you know, burned and, and filled with graffiti and looted. I want to go back to something you said uh, a little bit er a little bit earlier in your in your remarks about uh, the sort of the trends in academia and foundations following the trends in academia, because that's very interesting. If when you because if you look at the history of, say, the Ford Foundation, the uh, that foundation really turns hard to the left in the 1960s, 1970s. It's sort of the peak of uh, whiz kid technoc technocracy. Uh, McGeorge Bundy, uh, who was, I believe, head of the Ford Foundation, came out of the Kennedy-Johnson administration uh, and then really then dedicated the, the foundation to the solution of social problems in the vein of the great society and the uh, the sort of smartest people in the room ethos of the Kennedy administration. Yeah, I think that, you know, what what happens, uh, you know, with the, there's a kind of mutually beneficial relationship between these foundations and academia. First of all, academics are always looking for foundation grants. Um, and so, you know, they kind of cozy up to these foundation leaders. And the foundation leaders, like I said before, are often coming out of academia. Um, so there's this sort of, uh, you know, self-reinforcing cycle that's going on where these ideas that are really, you know, never exposed to the light of day in terms of reality, uh, you know, they're obviously, you know, you have some kind of sometimes they try them out on public policy and that's often a disaster. Um, but a lot of these just sort of completely obscure, uh, you know, academic theories are just continued to be supported and funded in the most ridiculous ways uh, because, you know, the, the, the academics have this in with the foundations and the foundation leaders are coming out of academia. So. On our, on our actually immediate preceding episode, uh, we had the director of our in-house Center for Strategic Giving uh, and the co-editor of Philanthropy Daily's Giving Review, uh, Mike Hartman, on to discuss donor intent, big philanthropy, many of the same sort of topics we're discussing today. Uh, and we, we spent our closing trying to figure out what can be done about it, how, uh, you know, we looked at statistics uh, showing that the progressive movement in philanthropy has a is many times the scale, depending on whose estimate you use, it can be anywhere from three to ten uh, times bigger than uh, philanthropic activity on the right, 
and you know how can we bring some sort of balance to this independent sector and we were stumped uh, yeah. So, Naomi, I'll put the question <laughs> to you. <laughs> Knowing big philanthropy is so overwhelmingly left progressive, uh, in some cases really partisan in all but name, a lot of their voter outreach, um, you know, is pretty obvious which side it is not just going to benefit, but probably intended to benefit. Uh, are there policy options, personal approaches donors can take, uh, just something that we can do to help rebalance what's going on here? Well, I think you have to sort of, uh, you know, try to stave off further harm uh, in some ways. I mean, the, the one one big threat, of course, to uh, to philanthropy and to conservative philanthropy um, is that many foundations and uh, activists are trying to use the government in order to limit how, how philanthropy can be used um, and specifically to kind of limit the way conservative philanthropy can, can be used. So, for instance, you, you know, you have these uh, bills in different state legislatures, um, you know, mandating uh, board diversity or staff diversity or diversity of causes that you give to. Um, and, and of course, what they mean by this is just, you know, racial diversity. It's not ideological diversity. Maybe it's sexual orientation diversity, but, you know, it's not because, ideological. And, well, so, and, and so so what you have, um, just let me finish one second. So if what you have is a situation where, um, you know, so many activists are already trying to limit even further the effects of conservative philanthropy, despite the fact that it is already dwarfed by progressive philanthropy. So I would encourage conservative philanthropy to think hard about ways that they can get involved in policy debates to ensure that in the future they can continue giving as freely as they have given in the past. If I can just play devil's advocate briefly, there are, some have proposed, you know, looking at, I'll, I'll use specifically the sort of what the progressive philanthropists call democracy giving. This is giving for voter outreach, vote by mail, uh, voter registration. That's pretty much, again, exclusively done in the private foundation space on the liberal side, uh, that, you know, we live, in an, we live in an era of big data where a group like, uh, like Catalyst, the big Democratic donor firm, uh, or uh, Democratic data firm, you, you, you know when you register voters with reasonable uh, predictiveness which way they're going to vote. You know, should we restrict... Uh, private foundations from giving to voter registration. You would say no? I would say no. I actually just had a piece in National Review last week that was called, uh, is it philanthropy's job to save democracy? Uh, because a lot of now left-wing philanthropies have announced that this is a democracy crisis that we're in. And if every philanthropy in the country doesn't start giving over their money to voter registration, then they're falling down on the job. Um, but again, I would really push back against that. And I would say, no, that is not the job of, of every philanthropy. And while again, there are some philanthropies out there, maybe that was the explicit mission of their donors was register voters. Um, I don't think that uh, that we should have every philanthropy, you know, engage in that in those, those efforts. Are you asking me whether I think it should be illegal for certain philanthropies to do that? I I mean, I'm just proposing like throwing it on the table as something that some people who are concerned about the uh, the the differential scale of progressive philanthropy and conservative philanthropy and concerned about the rise in election-related philanthropy, that, that that might be something they might propose to actually make it, uh, you know, foundations are not supposed to engage in outright lobbying. Should they be allowed to continue engaging in voter registration? 
Um, I, I don't think this is a fight that you want to get into, frankly. I really think that the that what what philanthropy should do is try to in, ensure that, you know, that it, it's its donors can give as freely as they want uh, to as many different causes and purposes as they want. And, and if anything, I would say my advice for conservatives, and this is something that progressives have started to do more recently, is they have started to give away more money and give it away faster. And so while you do have these kind of legacy foundations, even the legacy foundations are saying, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, double the amount that we're we're giving out of our endowment, you know, or, or in terms of the 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 interest that we're earning." And so I think that conservatives need to think hard about, you know, how much they can give away again during their lifetimes. This or or during the, at least the lifetimes of their children. You know, sunsetting foundations and encouraging donors to give away more money faster, I think, is one way to start this catching up. What are you know, if if your intent is to to give away money to charity, what are you waiting for? Um, I I really think that the the that your your best bet in terms of your bang for your buck, um, getting getting what you want to out of the philanthropy and having the impact that you want to, um, is giving it away, uh, you know, quickly and as close to in your lifetime as possible. And my understanding is that that's what the John M. Olin Foundation did, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And, and, uh, and the Simon Foundation and a variety of others that have kind of set this example, um, uh, you know, that this was John Templeton's, you know, famous advice of, you know, uh, giving, giving while you're living. Um, I think that there is a, a lot to be said for that. And you just it, it gives you much more control. And if you're horrified by watching what has happened to the legacies of, you know, Ford and MacArthur, this, this is the solution. All right. Uh, is there anything else you're working on that you'd like to, to tell us about? Um, you know, I think that in in terms of the the question about philanthropy, it's 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 worth trying to you know pass on those those messages of uh, you know of, of Olin and and Simon and and trying to pass them on to younger donors. You know, these days a lot of uh, you know donors are becoming richer at at, uh, at younger ages, and um, and trying to get this education out there uh, to them uh, earlier in their philanthropic careers is uh, is I think very important. And this and and this, you know, spend down quickly approach like that would also apply to people who would open, say, donor advised funds. Yes. Yes. And that's another area, by the way, that there is an attempt to, uh, you know, further regulate um, on the part of uh, liberal activists uh, who want to sort of, you know, clamp down on donor advised funds. Um, they they think that they're, you know, and, and too- that's and that's like they want to be able to see who's giving to the donor advised funds so that they can levy public pressure against them. Exactly. It's getting in the way of, of anonymity of philanthropy. Um, and it's in it's right, allowing them to put more more public pressure, you know, to give to these, you know, fashionable causes that we were talking about earlier. And I think that, you know, donors who care about making sure that their philanthropy uh, can be given as freely and as widely as they want, should think about how they can get involved in these public policy debates, uh, because they're going to they're going to impact, you know, how philanthropy is uh, is given out in the future. Well, uh, that is all the time we have. Uh, I'd like to thank Naomi Schaefer-Riley of the American Enterprise Institute and Independent Women's Forum for joining us this week. Uh, We will put her City Journal article and her National Review article uh, in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.